Colleagues, Anthony McKay, President and CEO of the National Centre on Education and the Economy, welcoming you to the final of the Global Ed Talks for 2020, and I'm delighted to welcome John White. John. Tony, it's so good to be here. Thank you for, uh, thanks for having me. Well, this just seems like a perfect opportunity in December 2020 uh, to do a little reflection, but more perhaps a little prediction on um, a 2021. I mean, what a year, first of all, 2020. I take it you survived it, okay? In one piece. Well, of course, up until recently, uh, you were doing that through your leadership uh, in Louisiana as uh, State Superintendent of Education, um, a significant period of service. And of course, people know that uh, you've had a, a remarkable uh, period of educational leadership in the nation, um, taking you back both to your teaching days, but also, of course, when you were uh, in New York uh, alongside Joel Klein as Deputy Chancellor. And more recently, I think people would also know that you've catalyzed uh, a group of uh, chief state school officers around an agenda for change, and you've committed through the establishment of Propel America, an agenda that's so important about the future of young people and their pathways, particularly post-secondary pathways. So uh, you're known to us in all of those capacities, perhaps particularly uh, in the very, very challenging times of post-Katrina. So you're known nationally, but you're also known internationally uh, because we've been associated with some fantastic global reform work across multiple jurisdictions. So it's just great to have you with us. Um, recently joined NCE as a board trustee, and so your support and leadership across multiple fronts is much appreciated. John, I take it um, there is a sense of anticipation um, about 2021. Let me just go straight to the heart of it. Uh, the politics of education as a subset of the politics of the US, uh, an incoming Biden administration, a chance to think about the way in which we might be able to seriously invest in lifting the performance of our learning system in the US in the interests of all young people. What you said, uh, a moment of opportunity, good politics could emerge and seriously support a much stronger learning system in the US? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is, Tony, um, and beyond just thanking you for having me, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to say, I think we're potentially at a real inflection point. I mean, I think this, this, this is a, a potentially very, very important moment. And uh, you have two things going on. First, um, uh, thankfully, we may be turning the corner on the pandemic, but uh, that's turning the corner on a health crisis only to realize, I think, that we have a lurking education crisis, one that's always been present in the US, uh, a, a crisis of, of fairness and equity, but also just a, a crisis of being able to deliver on the promise of a high quality education for all Americans. We've really shown the education system's warts over the last year and uh, its failure to deliver um, by no fault of teachers or really even administrators, but by its design um, has uh, opened the eyes of voters and parents 
uh, alike to some of the challenges in the education system. And we also have a, a transitioning administration and whatever your politics, um, there can be no debating the fact that the last four years have been rife with anger, divisiveness, contentiousness. And um, we have a chance to, to be better, to be more humane and to be potentially even more in the mode of old coalition building in education politics. So when you couple the broad awareness of the challenges with the potential to turn a corner and actually pull people together across lines, yes, I think there couldn't be a better moment for trying to, to create an inflection in the way that the politics have been trending. And when you say that, uh, do you think simultaneously at federal level, state level and district level, What's, when we talk about the potential for a coalition here, uh, the role of uh, a president who could be an education president, the role of governors, the role of state leaders and district leaders, how do you think about the necessary coalition of leadership? Well, I think um, first I'm, I'm, a, I'm a believer that innovation, and I do hope we get a chance to talk about the role of innovation in all of this, but I, I hope you know, innovation trickles up. And so I don't wanna say that the federal role or the president or even the education secretary is the determinative factor in the quality of schooling uh, in every community in this country. That being said, the president can create a framework the, that lasts decades, as was the case with President George H.W. Bush or President Clinton um, and their work with Congress. You know, it, 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 it's an enduring tone setting role that couldn't be more critical now as schools and school systems and even states tragically are kind of saying, okay, now what do we do? The role for leadership matters. And into that void, you could imagine uh, bringing together civil rights advocates and uh, businesses you could imagine bringing together religious and secular interests. You could imagine perhaps most critically in a way, bringing together higher education and K-12 education around an agenda for delivering value directly to people who need it, dispensing with ideology and delivering value directly. Unfortunately, that's not the way that politics very frequently, especially at the national level is done right now. And, and I also think that you know, President-elect Biden is not without his own um, institutional interests, political interests, special interest affinities that, that could tug him in a different direction from that. But that's not been his rhetoric so far on any issue. I certainly hope it's not his rhetoric on education. And, and the compelling case for change, the sense of uh, a burning platform, the sense of opportunity, um, that is that there is actually an agenda for change. How would you capture that and how might you identify what you would see as being the highest priorities for a change agenda? Well, I think as in any time of change, one way to generate momentum and credibility is to focus on the most immediate things that matter right now to the most people. And so I, I wouldn't sacrifice the short term in order to pursue the long term. I, I would do a couple of things. First, uh, the, the secretary and the president will need to ask basic questions of leadership uh, for the states and the districts. Do you know where your kids are? And that, that's not an inconsequential thing. Do you know where your kids are? Secondly, when kids graduate, right now, young, young uh, adult unemployment is at 20% in the US. We just saw a statistic last week 
indicating that low-income college enrollments for the class of 2020 have dropped by 30%. I mean, these are staggering numbers. You know, you're talking about millions of young people out of work and out of school. And, and so the case for change to act immediately is evident. Where are your kids? Are they learning? When they graduate, do they have a plan? These are issues that the secretary can lead on. But they really lead to bigger, longer-term issues. And just to say a couple of them, all relevant, again, to the pandemic, but longer-term and structural in nature. First, when people seek work, where do their kids go to be safe and well cared for? When they enter school, how can we be assured that the teacher has been prepared and the curriculum they're using is, is substantive and evidence-based? enough to, for example, teach young kids the foundations of reading. Does the way that we measure student learning and the way that we evaluate school performance actually stand up to the evidence? And is it driving schools to focus on the right things? Uh, is there a high quality curriculum in schools across grade spans? When young people graduate, do they have a funded next step for education and skills training? Are employers engaged to create programs that actually will ultimately lead to gainful employment and to continued education and training? When they enter college, how are we bending the cost curve on college and not laying tuition on the doorstep of families? These are meat and potatoes issues. They're not partisan issues that you could imagine an agenda being crafted around. Responsive to the pandemic's initial crisis, but thinking long-term and not trying to be ideological and divisive. So, well, John, as you well know, um, that kind of agenda is the one that uh, NCE itself has uh, been promoting for, a, for some time, but perhaps with even greater urgency over uh, recent months. Just before I come back to that question of um, how we might think about this agenda uh, as, a, as a system redesign challenge, which is the language that you and I uh, obviously use. Do you think that part of the case for change uh, has been uh, accelerated and supported by COVID-19? Uh, is there a real sense in which people know that we cannot continue to do business in the way that we've been doing it? Yeah, I think so. And I, I actually think it's only going to be furthered, not just by the initial fallout from the pandemic, but from the long-term confrontation of uh, the fact that when kids are out of school for a year or effectively disengaged in some manner, um, horrible things happen. And you know, we're going to see socially, emotionally, uh, academically, and just economically, we're going to see dramatic effects and it's going to become very, very real. It already is real, but for teachers, for school superintendents, for principals, but also for ultimately for governors and for, for cabinet officials and for senators. And that's, that's a big deal because it will, what it will show is not that our teachers have failed, but that the system has, has no real understanding of how to recover. And, and that, is, that is the looming crisis in front of us. Here's the dirty little secret. American schools don't really know how and American school systems don't really help them know how to assist students in grave states of struggle and, and who are, you know, as we say, behind. But I think more important than that, who are just at a different place on their growth trajectory and need it to be accelerated. And that could mean finding a way to fund and afford college. It could mean finding a good job, a good first job. 
It could mean learning how letters and sounds relate to one another. The, the point is our school system is not geared and adept at that deep, deep support for struggling learners. And, and we're about to be confronted with a lot more of them than ever before. Yeah, precisely. As we try and play catch up on learning loss and all of the challenges that have emerged. Let me take it then to what the way in which you were outlining the agenda. That's not just a shopping list of uh, potential uh, interventions. That describes a way of rethinking and redesigning the system to use that kind of language. How do you capture that challenge? Because as, as we've indicated, we, we see this as a redesigned challenge. Well, I think it's very hard because I think there's a seriousness to making policy when you talk about systems design. That is, that A, has a respect for the intricacy and the challenge of changing the system. That too has a long-term orientation rather than just a short-term orientation. And of course, naturally, in a democratic society, politicians are under short-term pressures. So I think it will start with A, when the president-elect comes in and there is a temptation to demagogue about school accountability and so on, a, 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 uh, an orientation or an inclination toward cranking money out in the fastest, most kind of populist way, instead to, to doing it intelligently, to seeding some innovation, um, to, for example, investing in the quality of America's tests would be one, rather than just demagoguing about how terrible they are, invest in their quality. Um, up front, as just as just one example of stimulate the states to take on big challenges, like for example, like the UK is doing. How we provide a scalable response to customized tutoring-based supports for struggling learners. You know, stimulate that type of innovation, and then learn from it, and and let the federal policy role actually react to it in one year, in two years, in five years. Let the Department of Education and Congress react to what they've learned and make regulations and make laws based on what they're learning rather than based exclusively on ideology and, and kind of populist sentiment. I think the president-elect has a real choice about that. Uh, who he puts in that role, and by the time this airs, he may have already put somebody in that role, um, will say a lot about whether he is going to take in kind of easy, ideologically oriented position on these issues, um, or whether he's really gonna take responsibility for what is, as you suggest, ideally a systems redesign across one nation, 50 states and 14,000 little school systems. Let me take you back to the innovation piece. Uh, here, here's a nation that in many respects could be seen to be a leader in innovation. Uh, but so often activity in the innovation space in education, in learning appears to be at the margins, if not actually, outside of the public education system. But there are multiple initiatives, clusters and networks that are seriously in the space that we are talking about. That is, they are anticipating a very different future for learning and work. And they are serving young people, their parents and their communities in really powerful ways. How do you harness that as part of what we would see here as being a project on behalf of the whole nation for all young people in a public education system where I'm putting the emphasis on the word public as in support for 
the public good in the public interest. How do you see that territory emerging in a way that can be uh, seriously supported by and nourished by existing innovation in the service of the public education system? And as you say, investing in new innovation. Well, I think it's very hard to do that from Washington. I mean, to, to be fair, I think the, the most important thing that the president can do or the secretary can do in a way is to give voice to the aspiration of change and, and to do it in a way that isn't hammering the establishment or hammering kids, uh, but is instead talking about what more our schools can achieve. You know, the last 30 years have been very characterized by um, a kind of civil rights rhetoric and, and a kind of international competitiveness rhetoric. And I am a you know, big embracer of both of those impulses. Um, but there may be a new rhetoric that the president can give voice to. It's a rhetoric about connectivity, connectivity to one another, connectivity to community, connectivity to employment, um, and uh, an, an education system that better connects us um, as one example of, and, and, and allows us to belong to something that's bigger than ourselves. Now, that type of, of sentiment is not inconsequential when you talk about the role of a president or even of a, even of a governor. Secondly, I think, especially at the state and to some extent at the local level, stimulating investment in and structures that, that um, elevate good ideas, you know, actively investing and using competitive grants, for example, to actively invest in good ideas. And that, that runs the gamut from the way that childcare providers work together all the way to the way that apprentice programs are created by employers and, and educational institutions. You know, there, there are ways of, of seeding good activity in a way that's conscious, and learns and then elevates those stories. You know, you and I have been involved um, in global efforts to do that, Tony. And, and I just, the best thing about it was this notion that David Albury, our mutual friend, always used to tell me, which is you are giving people license to innovate on behalf of the system. That is, you've heard this before, that, that is such a novel but obvious idea in a way, the power of that, of governors, of state commissioners, of districts uh, leaders to say, I'm tapping you to show us a better path forward. It doesn't take a lot of money, but it takes a lot of, of conscious, thoughtful leadership. And then the last thing that I do think the Congress can do and the president can do is when we have learned, as we learn, um, support a policy framework that gives us uh, a better chance of continuing to assure civil rights, but, but, but rewards the results of that, of that innovation more. The tests we have today are not the tests that we want the way that we measure the ultimate outcome of the system, the high school diploma, that's not the system that we want. We all know that. Um, once we have given license to people to solve these issues, to bring us better ideas, let the states be laboratories, let the districts be laboratories, the Congress should act and it should create a framework that is just as insistent on civil rights, but helps evolve our system uh, to, a better, to a better way of evaluating itself, which really is the ultimate step that needs to be taken. Yeah, and the language that you're using, you know, I think, is um, a language that elevates learning to uh, becoming better humans. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it just strikes me that, that the kind of story, the narrative, the discourse that you would want to promote across every community in the US has got to be aspirational uh, in the way that you've just referred to. I mean, it's interesting that uh, you use, using the language of connectivity and belongingness. I think about our colleagues in 
uh, Canada, particularly in British Columbia, where uh, the aspiration is for the educated citizen. Yeah, it, it, it sends a different message. So if you had to try and capture that now, how you would promote a national discourse, which is so much part of high-performing systems, yes? They spend time, considerable time, in determining their goals. And then they think about the public narrative that's going to support the reform agenda. And, it, and I suppose if you think about how outsiders have heard the story in the last period, it'd be around choice charters and vouchers as much as anything else. So if you, if you say, I want to shift in this narrative to be inclusive in the way that you are talking about and to address the really fundamental human issues that we are confronting, would you go beyond connectivity and belongingness? Or do you think that that's the way in which you try to get a public conversation going that supports the reform agenda? It, it certainly would go beyond it and it, it would be more comprehensive than that. But I think what I think I would, to your point about British Columbia, I think I would change the, the manner in which we, we understand the value of the system. And I, I'd argue for a, a larger, broader case than simply the kind of skills agenda that I've, by the way, very much been a part of. And, yep. I, and I still own, I think that, that the, the contribution, the kind of macroeconomic contribution of skills um, to individuals who benefit economically is a critical dimension of the education system. And I see no evidence to the contrary. That being said, um, uh, I think it's, as, as we're experiencing a lot in our politics, it's a limited view. It's not, it's not a wrong view, but it's a limited view. There should be a broader view. Connectivity is one. I think knowledge of our national project is another that I would, that I would put in. I think you know, knowledge, um, uh, connectivity, compassion, uh, in the manner that we that we approach one another. I mean, these are values that the public education system can serve to imbue its people with, can be a stabilizing force within the within the national project. And you know, no doubt about it, we've seen over the last five years, um, I think, uh, manifested in front of us some of the uglier aspects of our own national project. There, there, you know, every national project, every nation has a kind of uh, a, a, a disruptive side, a, a negative side to its, its, even to its best aspects. And naked individualism, for example, um, would be one that has, has propelled America in many ways to the heights of global leadership. But also, of course, when, um, when accentuated, has really negative side effects. And I think we're seeing that those, as you see those rifts kind of torn open. Education can be a, a formative impulse to correct for some of that. Um, and unfortunately, I think we're at a point in our national discourse that it's, it's, it's sort of improper for political leaders to insist that the institutions be formative as, the, as Yuval Levin, uh, the conservative scholar talks a lot about. But I think that that idea, um, you know, if we're gonna lead the education system back in a new direction, it, it, has, to, it has to hold. It's, there's no point in having an education system that is simply performative of the worst political impulses of the country and is informative of a better version of the country. That notion of there being a better version is the animating idea behind the American project. I mean, the notion that the next generation will be better, not just better off, but better, more perfect than the prior one. And of course, the public education system is wrapped up in that. It will take real courage and thoughtfulness to articulate that at a national level. But if you want change, change that, that breaks open this political stalemate that we're in between two populist 
um, kind of you know counterweights, it will take that not necessarily that rhetoric, but but a, a different view in the way that I think you and I are talking about. John, here we are, end of 2020, as we said, a tough year. But I have to say, um, this conversation, as we go into 2021, and nobody is underestimating the continuing challenge. This conversation, I have to tell you, um, is full of hope. And I want to thank you for that. And we're looking forward to contributing to that hopefulness as we commence 2021. John White, thank you again. Tony, thank you. It's a great honor to be with you and to be affiliated with NCE. Thank you. <laughs>